Hi everyone and welcome to the Be You Mum podcast. I'm Annie, mum, wife, nutritional therapist, music lover and believer that animal print will never go out of fashion. I believe that we are at our most happiest and healthiest when all parts of ourselves are aligned and singing in harmony, the mind, body, heart and spirit. For me, like most, motherhood has been life-changing. It has opened up so many opportunities to learn more about myself and grow and become a better version of me and generally better human being. So this is what this podcast is all about. Conversations with awesome people who will inspire, inform and empower you to be more you at your brightest and best. Just like health and happiness, I believe there is no one-size-fits-all approach to motherhood. Learning to better understand, love and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. So I hope you will join me on this podcast journey of self-discovery, self-growth and self-love because when we connect with ourselves and step into our personal power, our mummy magic can truly shine. So please keep listening and remember, always be more you. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Be You Mum podcast with me, Annie Breen. We are on episode 19. Um, This week I'm joined by the amazing Vivian Ulred. We are going to be talking all things hormone balance, specifically in relation to PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome. Vivian is a UK-based naturopathic nutritional therapist, same as me. We also studied at the same college, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I think Vivian was in Manchester. Um, Vivian decided to embark on her nutritional therapy journey after struggling with her own health issues for many years during her early adulthood. Her symptoms included hair loss, hair loss, sorry, cystic acne, amenorrhea, so when your periods stop, PCOS and gut infections. She now works primarily with women struggling with hormone imbalances and digestive issues educating them about the healing properties of food, nutritional supplements, lifestyle, and other natural remedies. Um, Vivian is so passionate. I really recommend you checking out her Instagram and social media platforms. She really does share so much amazing content. There's weekly blogs, newsletters, and then she has her own podcast called the Hormones in Harmony podcast, which you should definitely check out if this is an area of interest. She also does regular Q&As and just shares lots of different sort of inspiring information. Um, She really is a wealth of knowledge. So this week we're talking about PCOS. Vivian really breaks down the different types of PCOS and what could be some of the underlying causes. We talk about the different symptoms, um, the facts and dispel some of the myths. We also discuss um, different nutritional and lifestyle approaches, the difference between conventional and naturopathic, and some practical interventions that you can take away and start to implement into your own life today. If you would like to find out more um, about Vivian, I will put the links to her social media platforms and website in the show notes. She offers both online and in-person consultations, and she is based in Manchester. 
We really do cover so much. Yes, we do focus on PCOS, but I have to say anyone who is suffering from any kind of hormonal imbalance, and I know that's a lot of us, will get so much out of this episode. So without further ado, let's get into episode 19. So hi, Vivian. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Annie. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I love your podcast and I love all the information you put out there on your website. And specifically, we're going to chat about hormones, which I think everyone listening will um, want to kind of know a little bit more about how they can best balance them and what they can do within their own lives to support their hormones. Um, I know that you've had quite a journey yourself with your own health, which has really taken you to be doing this amazing work that you do today. Um, We are going to delve into PCOS specifically, but I just wondered if you could introduce yourself and give a little bit of background to what led you to be doing this work. Absolutely. So yeah, it all started off just for my own sake because I wasn't getting anywhere with conventional doctors. Um, They were just trying to throw the birth control pill at me and antidepressants and all of these medications, which have the time and the place, but I just knew deep down that it wasn't the answer. So growing up like really healthy, no health issues at all. And then it wasn't until I hit around um, 16 I joined the gym so I wanted to tone up a little bit lose a bit of weight Um, I was never overweight but just a little bit on the heavier side and I'm quite tall as well so I joined the gym and I have a bit of an obsessive personality so like when I get into something I like really if I enjoy it I do it like every single day so I would be in the gym like back-to-back classes doing like a body pump and followed by a hit session then abs so being there like two hours, like six, seven days a week for a period of time. And then I also shifted my diet. So again, growing up, I could eat anything, like no food sensitivities. I had an iron stomach, didn't really have any troubles with digestion at all. And then I swapped my diet and I thought I was being healthy. So I would have like um, low, low fi- uh, high fiber cereals and cereal bars and skim milk and all of these things. 100 calorie pack biscuits just thinking I was um calorie counting is the way forward but I was seriously underfueling my workouts and for like a growing girl as well I was just under eating so much and I lost weight and I felt better because I improved my diet a little bit and cut out all of the junk food and I was moving my body but after a while um, I started to notice symptoms like my period went missing and from that, um, from when I started at age 14, it had been regular every single month, no problems, no PMS. And my hair started falling out. My skin broke out in crazy acne. And I'd never had like a, a real breakout in my life. And after a couple of months, my mum was concerned about the period issue. I was concerned about my skin, obviously. But I would just cover that with makeup. I was like, I don't really care if my period's not here. I don't care about that completely different story now I'm like obsessed with my period um but yeah she made me go to the doctors he diagnosed me with PCOS because I displayed some of the symptoms like missing period acne um her loss and he told me my options were wait and see what happens meaning like go home and carry on with what you're doing and just see how bad your hair loss gets or the opposite was a birth control pill he said it would regulate my cycle clear up my skin and stop my hair falling out so I obviously went with that option 
it took a while to find the right pill for me. The first one made me like really depressed just within a few days. So I swapped to another pill called Yasmin and I stayed on that for two years. And in that time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do career-wise. I was studying like health and social care. So I know I wanted to like help people, but I didn't really want to be a nurse. So I left college and went to work at a summer camp in the US as like a camp counselor also being a fitness instructor so I would do, teach yoga and aerobics for like six hours a day in the scorching heat the food was absolutely terrible being in America like a children's camp it was like pizza and burgers and me trying to still be healthy I would hardly eat anything because I was like no I'm not going to touch that greasy food I'll just stick with salads and grilled chicken and fruit so that left me very exhausted, as you can imagine. And then on the last week of camp, I got really bad food poisoning. And then after that, I went traveling around New York for a bit and also got food poisoning a week later. So two episodes in two weeks. And I came home and my gut was a mess. I would be bloated after everything. My stomach looked like I was pregnant. I was in so much pain. I was getting acne again I would get hives on my face as like food reactions I was just sensitive to so many things and that's when I went to see a nutritional therapist and I'd never really heard of them before I'd heard of like dietitians but I thought oh maybe someone can help me because my doctor was just pushing like medications and everything at me at that point we did lots of testing we figured out that I had lots of gut infections food sensitivities nutrient deficiencies and she I was talking about the pill as well and that I had PCOS and she was talking about the negative effects. So I wanted to come off with her support, which I did. Took two years for my period to return after the pill, went through a whole um, gut healing protocol, which was like up and down and lost a lot of weight and then regained too much weight. So, like every hormone imbalance you can think of, I probably had it at one point. So that's why I'm so passionate about it. But yeah, over the past couple of years now, so I'm 25 now, so it's been like the past two to three years since I studied at CNM because um, the College of Naturopathic Medicine because I wanted to become a nutritional therapist because of how much I'd been helped by that whole process and then throughout my studying years and just so many hours of self-research I really started to understand my hormones and now my hormones are like so much better than they were and I feel healthy for once in my life and yeah, I just have a passion for this now and want to spread the word that, that it's an alternative way and there are things to do if you're not getting anywhere with your doctor or you just want to focus on a natural approach. Food and nutrition is so crucial and can really, really have a strong influence on your hormones now, but also your long term health, too. Wow, amazing story. And you know what you described? It's quite a common picture about, you know, we care what we look like when we're younger and we're looking at the outside of ourselves. We're not really interested in all the inner kind of stuff. We want to feel fit. We want to go to the gym. We normally go away and travel. I did the same. I ate terribly. I got loads of problems, food poisoning. It's quite a common thing and a good thing to go in terms of like adventure, explore and personal growth. But it's, um, it's amazing how we don't kind of prioritize, shall we say, or value the more natural aspects of health, like nutrition and just lifestyle interventions. At that age, it's almost like, oh, I don't need to worry about that. But yeah, you feel invincible. Absolutely. And I do think things are changing a little bit. 
I mean, you know, we've both been on our own journeys that has led us to this point. And something that I'm passionate about is being able to then, um, I guess, model that message to Bonnie and my family as well. If anything, if I get anything out of my qualification, we went to the same um, college in naturopathic medicine. Is that really? And I do think that there is certainly a movement happening. I just feel it going more towards back to nature, more towards kind of... um, self-empowerment being the agent in your own health and just you know valuing the power of food and lifestyle stuff so that that's really amazing and it's so good that you ended up seeing that nutritional therapist at that time as well and that's sparked your passion to go on see it was actually um, did you study at the manchester um, Um, location no so i used to live in manchester birmingham ah okay so i was going to say the um our course consultant is called d and it's actually her that I went to see. So I didn't know that she was the course director of the college. Yeah. So I was saying that I was interested in studying and she was like, oh, that's, my, that's the one that I work at. So it was like really interesting. And yeah, even though it's helped me as well, it's also had a positive influence on my family too. So I don't have kids, but um, my mum and dad came into the student clinics and my mum found out that she had Hashimoto's, so a thyroid issue. Um, it's helped my dad's skin. He had a lot of hives and skin rashes. My brother had some digestive issues um, and they've all been helped from that. So it's definitely, some people, that's what they just studied for. Not, they didn't want to practice. They just wanted to help their own health and their family. So I think it's, yeah, it's amazing. And you know, there's, um, in terms of hormones, I actually remember <laughs> probably not going to that lecture. Like I was single when I went to college and I was kind of like, I'm not interested in women's health and hormones. And I was very much into the gut and that sort of thing. But it's through my life experience and my transition to motherhood that I've almost been pushed there because what, what I personally feel is your hormones reflect your environment and we can't expect them to be sort of singing in harmony of, if we're not and our environment isn't and it isn't about being perfect it's about being flexible but laying down the foundations to at least give them a chance and I know that's what we're going to talk about a bit today but it's really hard to be happy and calm and feel regulated emotionally if your hormones are all over the place and I've learned the lessons like (laughs) so with that said I mean it'd be great we're going to talk about PCOS um that's certainly your baby um but yeah if you don't mind telling us a little bit about what it is um and then we can kind of go from there and delve into it a little bit cool so pcos is not just a hormone hormonal imbalance it's a complex hormone so endocrine and metabolic condition so that's how it differs from just regular pms because it's involved in the metabolism as well and basically, just as a general overview, it's just that you have an imbalance of your male and female hormones. So you typically have high levels of male hormones that are also called androgens. Testosterone and DHA fall into this category. So I'll just refer to all of those things interchangeably throughout this. So androgens being male hormones. And yeah, you have an imbalance of those things. And that can cause an issue with um, many different symptoms across the body, but the most common ones being skin issues particularly acne and acne on the face but also on the chest sometimes on the back sometimes on the glutes and this is where you have the most um, male hormone receptors or like um, sebum and where men typically grow hair that's where women can break out with in acne 
And another thing that can affect the skin is hirsutism, which is excessive facial and body hair growth. So there's people who have always had a little bit of darker hair on their face. Certain ethnicities have that. Um, but the people who have like dark, thick, coarse hair, maybe on their upper lip, on their chin, their jawline, sometimes on the, the middle of the breasts, on the nipples, underneath the, um, underneath the navel, they just tend to have a lot of hair. And it's not like the peach fuzz that we typically, most women have. It's the thick, dark hair that you need to pluck and it really comes out you you can see it really well and then other symptoms could include um irregular cycles and that's because irregular uh, that's because ovulation's impaired so ovulation is the star of the show when it comes to our menstrual cycle everyone talks about the period it's actually ovulation that we need to be focusing on because you can have a period without ovulating but when you ovulate you're either going to fall pregnant or you're going to have a period so we want to focus on that. And there's many different reasons that can affect ovulation. But when we ovulate, we produce progesterone, which is naturally anti-inflammatory. It helps to offset the negative effects of estrogen and these androgens as well. Women with PCOS tend to be chronically low in progesterone because they're not ovulating regularly. So some of the reasons that this can happen is usually high insulin probably 80% of women with PCOS have some degree of insulin resistance. It may not be pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetes level, but they just have high levels of insulin and that interferes with the whole ovulation process. So there's something just getting in the way and this high insulin stimulates the ovaries to produce androgens, these male hormones. And another thing that could be a root cause is inflammation. This can be stemming from the gut, food sensitivities, environmental toxins, which I'm sure we'll be talking a bit more about. That's a really big factor. And then the last one is stress. These are the top three underlying causes that I see. So everyone with PCOS is inflamed. 80% also have some degree of insulin resistance. And a large subset of these people have some, some stress in their life. That may not be mental and emotional stress, but it could also be physical stress. So just having a baby or working a, a job and then coming home and doing all the housework as well, or too much exercise, not enough exercise. These are also stresses as well. So they would be the three driving factors of PCOS. And then long-term, if this is left uncontrolled, that's why it can lead to infertility or difficulties trying to conceive. It can lead to type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, high cholesterol, and then all of the diseases that are linked to that as well. But there are so many things that you can do. You're not destined to have PCOS symptoms for the rest of your life. And just because you have a family history of it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to develop it or your children are going to develop it. There are so many things that you can do to influence your genetics. That's so helpful. And I think it's, it's good to kind of just differentiate between I'm not saying just a hormone balance but like you said this is complex this is metabolic and I think I probably read on your website that aren't they thinking of changing the name of it because it is much yeah. of a metabolic disorder um, Absolutely. and those symptoms that you just described are very much kind of um, unique to this picture yes they can cross over as we know and I think it gets confusing especially when we go to the GP but if you have a collection of those symptoms is that right that it would be good to go down the kind of avenue of exploring this a little bit more and yeah. how would you recommend 
what can you get from the GP? What tests are going to be helpful if you think, oh goodness, that's just described me, like where do I go now? Yeah, so how it's diagnosed, um, there's three specific criteria and you need to have two out of three of those things to be diagnosed with PCOS. So okay. the first one is the appearance of cysts or polycystic ovaries upon ultrasound. So they may send you for an ultrasound and they'll say, oh, it looks like you have a string of pearls appearance on your ovaries. There's multiple follicles, 12 plus follicles, as opposed to ovarian cysts. That's a different thing. That's where they're large and maybe one or two. It's a different, they often get confused. So that would be the first criteria. And I had that one. And just to just to um, make sure everyone's aware, these aren't like growths or tumours or anything like that that I thought they were when I was younger. It's actually just undeveloped or unmatured eggs that you would release at ovulation. So if you're not ovulating, they're going to be there. And I don't really like this marker because it can be a little bit inaccurate and misleading. Because if you take an average woman off the street, one in four of them are going to have this appearance of polycystic ovaries. And that doesn't mean that they have PCOS. It may be that they're leading up to ovulation, which would be a normal process. Like your, your ovaries develop all of these follicles and then one gets chosen. It's like the golden child that gets chosen to be released at ovulation. Or it could be that that woman just, um, for whatever reason, skipped her period that month and didn't have a period, didn't ovulate, which can happen sometimes. So it's not just with PCOS that this happens. And I don't, I don't care if like a client hasn't had an ultrasound, I'm not going to send them to get one because I don't think it's that important, but it is still in the criteria. The second one is um, irregular cycles or irregular ovulation, not ovulating, not having a period. So just irregularities in that aspect. And this could be tested with ovulation tests or progesterone levels or tracking your cycle. And then the last one is symptom symptomatic signs or blood work signs of high androgens so these high male hormones again whether that's that you have acne and hair loss and just display symptoms of high androgens or it could be in your blood work you have high testosterone for example so they would be the three criteria ideally from doctors the test that you want to get would be things like sex hormone binding globulin this is like a sponge in the bloodstream that soaks up excess hormones Women with PCOS typically have low levels of sex hormone binding globulin. And that means that they have just a lot of hormones floating around and not being bound up to this protein. Um, and sometimes that gets run, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they tell you it's in normal ranges, but sometimes it's not in optimal ranges because I think the reference range goes from 50 to 150. I want to see that closer to, uh, closer to 80, 120, so in the middle of that range. That's why a lot of people get missed. And then some of the androgens would be testosterone, free testosterone, DHEA, um, DHEAS, androstenedione. And I have a guide on my website. If I've missed any of them, I'll send you the link to that and you can link it into the show notes. It's the blood test request for PCOS. So if you can, you can print that out, take it to your doctor and see what they say. And then there's also another marker called FSH and one called LH follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone with pcos luteinizing hormone when tested on the third day of your period is typically double that of fsh or triple or higher so say if fsh is one 
in PCOS, a lot of the time, LH would be two, three, four plus at the wrong time of the cycle. And yeah, I think they would be the main ones. Um, one that would be ideal, but doesn't frequently get tested in the UK at least, would be fasting insulin or a glucose tolerance test with insulin as well to rule out that insulin resistance. Fasting glucose and HbA1c aren't enough. So they would only really go out of, out of range when you're heading more towards diabetes. So we don't want to wait for that to happen. We want to wait until you're outside of the optimal range. If you can find a doctor that runs fasting insulin in the UK, then you're quite lucky. Sometimes you have to pay privately, but I think it's really worth it to do that because it, it, gives, it rules in or rules out that driver. Um, and the focus would be a little bit different if you, if you did have insulin resistance. That's so helpful. And that guide would be amazing because um, it is confusing to know what to ask for and then what the results mean. Um, and then probably if you go to the GP and you have those tests and say they come back sort of out of balance, the likely advice is going to be medication. Yeah. Is that your experience? Sadly. Yeah. And um, sometimes if the patient looks overweight or they ask them a little bit about their diet and they're eating Western diet and junk food, they'll tell them to maybe exercise more, lose a bit of weight, which is easier said than done with PCOS. That's like a classic issue is the weight loss resistance. That's another one of the symptoms or um, just gaining weight excessively because of the high insulin levels. So they may give the simple dietary advice, but that can sometimes be problematic for those who are at normal weight. They tell them to eat less carbs, eat less food, exercise more. For the people whose PCOS is driven by stress and adrenal imbalances, that can make them worse because maybe they're already exercising, maybe they're eating really healthy, like I was originally. I was a normal body weight. I didn't get asked any questions at all about diet or lifestyle even though I was eating like probably 800 calories a day, exercising two hours, not tr treating my body well, not sleeping well. So if you get asked those things, um, then that's a pretty good thing. But just be aware that the advice is pretty old school and doesn't take into account the different types of PCOS and your individual lifestyle. And on that, um, you don't have to be overweight, right? You don't have, that's a misconception. Yes, a lot of women do struggle with their weight. I think that's a very common part of this condition, but some don't have that as a symptom or they don't show up as being um, overweight. And you can have insulin resistance and be underweight or lean. So you can still have that blood sugar, um, high insulin levels. And maybe down the road, it does lead to weight issues but you can have just a high insulin and be of normal body weight. That's another, people think, oh, they don't look overweight, so they mustn't be, have any issues with blood sugar or carbohydrates, but it could be the case that someone's very active, but is still insulin resistant because there's a number of different um, reasons for that. It's not just about carbohydrates and sugar with insulin resistance. Yeah, amazing. And I think let's get into that. So if someone was to come to you and we've got this information and yeah, it kind of paints a picture that, that PCOS could be an issue. Where do you start? What what are the types? Um, yeah. What's your approach? Yeah, we'll cover the types first. And yeah. I would determine that with symptom history. So going through the timeline, maybe what the triggers were at the time of the PCOS developing um, were there any stresses early on in life? Were the parents working in a toxic chemical environment? 
is all important. How is her stress levels? What is her lifestyle like? What's her diet like? And doing some testing, so blood work. Um, sometimes I do other functional lab tests. A common one that I use for PCOS would be the Dutch test. I don't know if you've spoken about that before on the podcast. Um, that's a urine, a urine test that you do at home. It's a private one, so you would have to pay out of pocket. But it's so informative because it will look at the cortisol and adrenal piece. So is stress playing a role in this, whether you feel it or not? It also looks at all of the androgens that you need. And sometimes I have clients who get told that they don't have PCOS based on blood work. But to me, everything just points in the direction of PCOS. They have the acne, they're not having a regular cycle. And then we do a, a Dutch test. And because it's so much more comprehensive, usually I'm the one that picks up that they have PCOS. Obviously, I can't diagnose them. I would just send them back to the doctor and just confirm, like, look at these levels. The blood work was normal. Testosterone can sometimes be low in blood. And all of these other androgens are off the, off the charts too high. So testing would be my number one go-to first cleaning up the diet so if they're eating junk food removing that having protein fats fiber every meal to stabilize blood sugar that would be the starting point from there there may be other food sensitivities or tweaks to macronutrients that we would do but i don't start there it's a little bit overwhelming especially if they're coming from just a regular diet and make sure that they're sleeping because you can't really overcome pcos symptoms if you're not so important just for every every um, symptom in the body but particularly hormonal issues and make sure that they're moving their body but not too much not overdoing it with the exercise just walking every day is a great one some strength training to help build muscle so really basic stuff i know people are probably looking like what's the number one superfood or the supplement i can take for pcos but the majority of the time it really is the basics that you need to get under control and I love that you say that because I think sometimes when the problem feels really big and you're suffering, you're always looking outside of yourself for that solution, that quick fix. But actually, it's coming back to you and the body and tuning in and, okay, am I sleeping? Am I getting enough time to myself, restorative practices? Am I eating anything green? It is these foundations. Um, and I was listening, no, I was reading on your website about insulin um, resistance. I think increasing by like 33% if you lose at least or even just one night of sleep or under five yeah. hours. And it's been calculated um, that mothers lose up to 700 hours in the first year. <laughs> and, you know, I laugh about it because I've been there. But I think we'll, we'll talk about sleep. There are so many different ways of improving sleep. And if you can't get long sleep, which is ideal, there's restorative ways of putting you more in restorative states and also what you can do in the day to manage stress so i don't want people to feel disheartened about that it is really important but i think just understanding it's important and being aware of that then we can be creative about how we can start to improve it and work on it um yeah that's really really helpful so that's the different types then because then we can delve into the insulin and the stress and the inflammation yeah absolutely so i um, it wasn't me who came up with these categories. Other practitioners like Laura Bryden, um, who has the book Period Repair Manual, which is like the Bible to all women. Everyone should read that one. Okay. But I've, yeah, I've done a few blog posts on the types as well. So the first and most common one would be that insulin resistance, which I think we've spoken a little bit about. Basically, your body's not utilizing sugars and glucose like it should be. And that 
is promoting high insulin levels. High insulin stimulates the ovaries to produce androgens, these male hormones, which can interfere with ovulation and therefore your cycle, therefore your skin, your fertility, so many things because of the lack of ovulation or the lack of progesterone. And to test for insulin resistance, then the fasting insulin would be a good one. I sometimes use glucometers with my clients as well because I've had it before where fasting insulin is actually normal, but it's after they're eating that they're producing a lot of insulin, which is a storage hormone. And I don't like to recommend doing it for a long period of time because it can get stressful and just overwhelming. So we're just buying a little kit off Amazon, like diabetics use, just tracking your blood sugar. And again, I have a guide on my website with all the optimal levels to shoot for and the, the different software that I'd like to recommend. And symptoms that you might have insulin issues apart from having PCOS, it's very common that it may be a driver. You could have issues like abdominal weight storage. This could be for another reason, like high cortisol, so not always. You could have skin tags, which you sometimes get on your neck or in the folds of your body. Acanthosis nigricans, which is thick and dark and like velvety patches of your skin, again, usually in the folds. So under your armpits, around your neck area. There's people you may have seen, it just looks like their neck's quite dirty, but they like clean it and rub it, and it's because the skin's change colour because of high insulin levels. Maybe you get really bad sugar or carbohydrate cravings, particularly after eating. That's a big sign, because your blood sugar's just all over the place. And weight loss resistance would be another one. So weight gain around the abdomen, but all over if you just can't shift it and you're eating really healthy, you could have some insulin resistance there. That would be the first one. The next one would be adrenal-based PCOS. And I just want to preface that you can have more than one of these categories. So again, for me, I've had all of these at one time or another. They can go hand in hand. You don't need to box yourself into a particular one. So adrenals, your adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys, and they regulate your stress response. So they produce cortisol and other hormones like adrenaline, which is good. We need some stress to get us out of the way when we step in front of a car, but it shouldn't be chronic. Back in the day, we would have a stress like being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. And after like 10 minutes, it'd be over and we'd go back into the relaxation mode. But now stress is like constant. We're waking up in the morning, rushing, trying to get the kids ready for school, rushing out the house lost your keys, get in the car, there's traffic, you get to work, there's 100 emails to read, your boss is um, being terrible, and you come home, have all the housework to do, like just there's no time in the day where stress isn't, stress isn't a factor. And that adren that those adrenals, they're not only producing cortisol and these stress hormones, they can also produce some of these male hormones. So it's not just our ovaries that can produce androgens, it's our adrenal glands as well. So all the time that you're pumping out cortisol, you're probably pumping out male hormones at the same time. And this is a huge factor. And stress, again, isn't just that mental and emotional worry and um, anxiety. It's also physical stressors. So are you eating foods that you are sensitive to? Have you got nutrient deficiencies? These also play into the stress piece. And some signs that you might have that could be stress-related and something to pay attention to would be like anxiety, clenching your jaw, especially teeth grinding in the night. You could have palpitations. You could have insomnia. 
or difficulty falling to sleep, waking up every couple of hours, a second wind of energy in the evening, or a 3 to 4 p.m. slump. So someone who's an office worker, they feel like falling asleep at 3 p.m. They need a chocolate bar, they need a coffee. That's a big sign that your adrenals are out of whack. And then maybe when you get home, you at 9 to 10 p.m. get a second wind of energy and you want to binge watch a box set or do a ton of emails, do the, clean the whole house. That's really a big sign that your adrenals are out of whack. When the fatigue is more just chronic and constant, you wake up, you're tired, all day long you're tired and it doesn't really fluctuate, that's more of a thyroid. I would start to think thyroid at that point. But if it's in a pattern, it usually is adrenals. And then next type of PCOS would be pulsed pill, so pulsed birth control pill. And this is really important because I know we were talking before about people stopping the pill. They want to fall pregnant right away. They want a baby now. And they go to the doctors because their period hasn't returned or they're just not conceiving. And they're told that they have PCOS and they're like, what the hell? Like no one in my family has PCOS. I never used to have any problems before I went on the pill. And they get then sent down to IVF. They're told like, you have PCOS, you need to do this. You won't get pregnant naturally. And when you stop the pill, it's a temporary, it can be a temporary state of hormone imbalance that can last probably up to two years. Average is like six to 12 months but it can be up to two years like it was in my case as well. Most people don't know that the birth control pill suppresses your natural hormones. So the period that you're having every month is a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period. It's just drug induced. So it's medication induced bleed. The pill builds up your uterine lining and then it sheds when you stop it for those um, sugar pills for that week of the break. And because your brain to ovary connection has been shut down for that entire time that you're on the pill, there's no messages going to your ovaries. You're not producing your own progesterone or estrogen. Some women on it for like decades, so 20, 30 years, um, which is pretty scary. And when you stop the pill, your body has to relearn how to communicate again. So your brain has to start sending messages to the ovaries. And that can take a real, really long time particularly if you've been on it for many years and also if you went on it re really young. So if you started your period at age 14, for example, and went on the pill at age 16 or 17, that really narrow window can put you at risk of this as well. And the pill depletes a lot of nutrients that are needed for pregnancy, needed for healthy balanced hormones, so that's the ironic thing, needed to regulate PCOS. The pill also worsens all of the underlying imbalances of PCOS, so it causes more insulin resistance, causes more stress and causes more inflammation. And that's why it's maybe helpful at clearing up symptoms, but it's actually making the issue worse. So when you come off the pill, your symptoms are still there, if not worse. And the issue with the pill stopping that as well is that you get something called an androgen rebound. So because your hormones have been suppressed, when they come back online again, they start to go a little bit crazy. They start to be overactive. They're like, we've not done this for a while. Let's pump out a ton of androgens, these male hormones. And that's why people can get post-pill acne. The hair starts to fall out. Their skin gets really oily. The period's all over the place. And that's because of um, an androgen rebound. And then the final subtype of PCOS would be um, inflammatory PCOS. So this could be issues in the gut, um, gut infections, bacterial overgrowths, 
food sensitivities that you're eating every day, maybe you have parasites, and that, that is driving chronic inflammation. It could be that you have food allergies, food sensitivities, or it could be that you're um, being exposed to environmental toxins. And there's a huge connection between environmental toxins like plastics, BPA, parabens, phthalates, heavy metals with PCOS. And there's some evidence to show that exposure to some of these things in utero, so when you were being developed in your mother's womb, exposure to some of these things may trigger the genes for PCOS to turn on. Obviously, we can't go back in time and change that. But women with PCOS also tend to accumulate these things even more and have difficulty detoxifying them. So we're all bombarded and exposed to them every single day. There's thousands of new chemicals entering the, um, entering the world on a yearly basis. But women with PCOS are like the canaries in the coal mine, meaning that we outwardly display the negative effects of these chemicals, whereas they're affecting everyone, but other people may not be symptomatic because of them. So symptom-wise, there's no like specific symptoms. It could be anything. So if you've also got digestive issues and IBS, maybe you can suspect that you have inflammatory PCOS. If you've got joint pains, if you've got skin rashes, if you've got an autoimmune condition like um, Hashimoto's that affects the thyroid or rheumatoid arthritis. And um, if you don't fit into any of the other boxes, so you've ruled out insulin resistance, you've looked at your stress hormones and you're pretty fine there, you've not been on the pill recently, you can probably box yourself into the, the inflammatory, um, inflammatory category. And thyroid issues can also come into this as well. And thyroid issues aren't a, a driver of PCOS necessarily. They can just mimic or loop, they can go alongside each other. It's estimated that a quarter of women with PCOS have some Im thyroid imbalances, usually underactive thyroid as opposed to overactive, so hypothyroidism. And it's just that certain symptoms like the irregular cycles, not ovulating, weight issues, skin and hair issues, hair loss can mimic hypothyroidism. So they can go hand in hand, but it wouldn't necessarily cause it as a driver, but it's something to be aware of. And the testing for thyroid is one of the, the most controversial, the most problematic, especially in places like the UK, because the reference ranges are absolutely terrible. They're so broad and they're not looking at optimal ranges. They're waiting until your thyroid is so damaged that you go off the scale and then you can get given a medication. Take TSH, for example, thyroid stimulating hormone. That's just one of six or seven thyroid hormones that you need to have tested. And it's usually the last one to go out of whack. And the reference range for the opinion is probably 0 0.5 to 6 in some parts of the country. Whereas I want to see it between 1 and 2. So you can see how many people are being missed. They have all the symptoms of hypothyroidism. They're tired. They're cold all the time. Their hair's falling out. They're sluggish. They're puffy. They're depressed. They keep going back to the doctor. They're like, no, no, it's fine. They're just monitor, they'll send them monitor your thyroid. So they'll see it creeping up year on year. And then finally, when it hits that six, they'll say, right, you've got hypothyroidism now. Let's put you on medication. And at that point, it's hard to, you can definitely make some changes and improve things, but your thyroid could be damaged at that point. So we want to prevent that from happening and inter intervene when, when these processes first happen. And that's why it's important to get regular testing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're lucky, aren't we, to have um, 
access to some pretty cool testing. Um, but obviously you only want to kind of do what's going to be relevant to you and make sure you're testing on what you can actually take action on. So I love that you mentioned yeah. Dutch. I use that. I use stool testing quite a bit and thyroid. Um, and also, if you just want to know where to start, uh, I, I'm definitely going to check out your recommendations on blood glucose because I think that's something we can all do just from home. And MediChecks, they do thyroid home kits that you can just get more of a kind of comprehensive overview. Do you use them sometimes? Yeah, definitely. So that's where I get the full thyroid panels um, because, like I said, the majority of practitioners won't run a full thyroid panel. You need to look at antibodies t3 t4 all of that not just tsh absolutely and, and it's nice that these things are accessible but what i would say is you know always get help because it can take longer be more expensive in the long run if you're trying to manage this on your own um and you're absolutely right about the whole rebound thing i see that with most medications um but especially motherhood pregnancy birth the body rebounds the immune system kicks back in the ovaries start talking to the brain and the gut isn't like crushed anymore like everything comes back which is normal and part of like the whole process of motherhood but our conditions our environment is not conducive to that healing that recovery that repair and this is where i see things go wrong and maybe you haven't had a history maybe you have got the genes that predispose you but everything's been fine boom that happens a challenge to the system with that lack of recovery and this is where i think see things start to kind of come up to the surface and yeah just to kind of echo what you were saying about insulin and inflammation are the two things inflammation i find quite sexy and cool and funky but insulin might be a bit boring but there if you can get those two under control understand it manage it support it through diet lifestyle that, that's going to hold you in good stead like those two things and then obviously we're talking about gut health when we're talking about inflammation and i do find that a really good place to start because a lot of the time we're not just stressed on the outside the body is stressed there's that kind of invisible physiological kind of stress going on so i'm really glad you mentioned that and i think you know you probably said about inflammation it just dampens down the receptors you know the, the cell receptors that need to be awake and listening um, for our hormones to be balanced and every process to happen but if inflammation is there that's not working so well so for insulin example it just can't pick it up so it definitely is that kind of um, thing to investigate a little bit further so you've covered so much there's so much information i've been writing down loads of stuff because you are a wealth of knowledge <laughs> in this area what would you say then we've covered those kind of places uh, those different types in terms of just some foundations moving forward and i know you've talked a lot about sort of insulin inflammation and um, stress are there any kind of main things to hone in on that you want to be kind of getting right before you can go on to the more funky fancy supplements or you know all those other things that you can use yeah so every meal that you have you need to make sure that you have a serving of protein that's high quality so this protein um is made up of things like eggs fish meat um there's vegan or vegetarian sources like legumes and beans and quinoa um, and having a serving of that at every meal. 
and this helps to support insulin and blood sugar management it helps to keep you full it helps to provide amino acids which are the building blocks for your hormones estrogen and progesterone we also need healthy fats so these include things like nuts and seeds avocados olive oil butter and ghee um, dark chocolate can fall into this as well healthy fats are also needed for um, creating our sex hormones estrogen and progesterone thyroid hormones skin cells Every single cell of your body needs a healthy fat. And there's been a huge fat phobic era. I think it's ending now, which is good, but some people are still in that mindset. It's the inflammatory fats and oils that we want to avoid. So sunflower oil, rapeseed oil, canola oil, soybean, um, all of these are very pro-inflammatory and very high in omega-6 rich fats, fats, which can drive insulin resistance, can damage our cells and um, our very problematic for PCOS. So swapping over your cooking oils to coconut, avocado oil, ghee, butter, those types of things. And then finally, fiber every meal and vegetables obviously fall into this. Cruciferous vegetables can be great for PCOS. Things like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, sprouts. These provide sulfur, which supports detoxification of the liver to get your hormones out of your system once they've been used. That can be the issue with PCOS, poor detoxification. So you're just recirculating the hormones over and over again. You just can't clear them out of your system. Carbohydrates like sweet potatoes and quinoa and rice and beetroots and parsnips fall into the fiber category as well. But with PCOS, it can be quite individual. Everyone's carbohydrate tolerance. Even if you eat 50 grams of sweet potato versus 50 grams of white rice, you may have a completely different response. Some people actually have a higher glucose and insulin response from the, the sweet potato than the white rice. So we hear like certain things are better than others, whole grains better than white bread, white rice, but you need to see how your body's individually responding to them, see how you feel. If you're tired or hungry after eating, it could be that you're eating too many carbohydrates or you need to find a different type. That's why I use the blood sugar tracking to be really helpful. Something that I I can use with insulin resistant clients maybe not the best for new mums or breastfeeding mums who need more carbohydrates or just a greater carbohydrate um just a greater calorie intake overall would be carb cycling so starting your day with a relatively low carb breakfast whether that's eggs and avocados cooked in some ghee with some vegetables or a, a protein shake with a non-dairy protein um, maybe some almond butter, coconut milk, green powder. And that will, that will help to set your blood sugar up on the right note for the rest of the day. So if you start in your day with a big bowl of porridge or a big bowl, uh, a big plate full of toast and jam and granola and orange juice, that's going to start your blood sugar off and your insulin off on a high. And that's going to have a knock-on effect on the rest of the day. Also your energy and cortisol levels. So naturally keeping it low during the day keeps your blood sugar and your energy stable for the rest of the day and then as the day goes on you gradually increase a little bit more carbohydrates at lunch and then have your biggest serving of carbohydrates at dinner and this sounds counterintuitive to what we've been taught like eat carbs in the morning so you can burn them off but carbohydrates in the evening help to dampen down the stress response so we can get better sleep produce more melatonin and it also helps with um just calming the body and still getting those healthy carbohydrates in because they're important for PCOS. I know there's a whole craze with keto and very low carb. 
that can be therapeutic in some cases, but I just don't see them being necessary in a lot of my clients. Food sensitivities like gluten and dairy may be a problem as well. These are quite pro-inflammatory food for a large, large subset of the population. So it's maybe worth doing a short-term elimination diet of both of those things and doing a gradual reintroduction to see how you feel whilst consuming them. But dairy is very insulinogenic, meaning that it's low carb, but it's actually, it promotes a lot of insulin release in the body. And PCOS women tend to have high levels of insulin anyway. And plus it's a hormonal fluid. So if having a hormone imbalance, just adding more hormones on top of that may not be a good thing. But that said, some people do well on small amounts, maybe goats, milk, maybe um, feta cheese, organic, always try and get organic dairy. And I'm, I see most people being fine with butter. So if they want to use butter for cooking, that's usually a good healthy fat. So that would be diet wise. Um, do you have any more questions on that? Or do you want me to go into more detail on the diet piece or go straight into the lifestyle? No, just to kind of point out that I love what you said about the carbohydrates. And again, this kind of just goes back to this approach that you've got to remember you are an individual. And, you know, even if you might have the same label or diagnosis as someone else, how you got there, what's going to help you move from there is going to be different. And just by measuring glucose after eating, that's going to be so helpful because maybe you are okay to have a bit of that white rice, you know, so great at this point so i really i really love that i think that's really really helpful um yeah carry on yeah we also need to like and everyone's individual like if you're sat on your bum all day working in an office you don't really have any physical activity yeah you probably need less carbohydrates than someone who's a waitress or is a, a pt maybe they're on their feet all day running around maybe they're healing from a, another condition so i I see a lot of people with digestive issues and maybe they need um, a higher amount of certain carbohydrates or everyone's very different. So maybe they're underweight, maybe they're recovering from an eating disorder. There's so many things to take into consideration. That's why I think it's important to work with a practitioner. Like I feel bad not giving or do this diet wise and it'll help. It, I can't do that because it's just not going to be helpful. It's going to make someone worse. So I like to give just these general things, but from there, you need to find what's personal to you. And then lifestyle-wise, I think I mentioned some of them before, like the sleep. And a lot of people have issues with the sleep. And you were right. One night of sleep deprivation, which was characterized as less than five or six hours, which I know people do that for decades. They sleep like five hours a night. That can make you more insulin resistant. So you could be eating the most perfect diet, exercising, and you could still be dealing with PCOS symptoms, being overweight, and dealing with acne, it's because you're not sleeping well. And I'm really big into circadian rhythm, which are our body clocks. And it's so important for women with PCOS because we're thought to be in a chronic state of jet lag. Just our body clocks aren't functioning optimally. Our hormone signaling isn't where it should be. And therefore we need to be even more, um, even more diligent with some of these things. So getting outside as much as possible with natural sunlight, looking outside like taking your sunglasses off and just getting your skin on show in the summer months i know it's like terrible at this time of year in the uk we don't really see any sun but it really it is still there so get outside as much as you can even though it's dark and dreary and raining it's going to make a huge difference and then in the evening you want to do the opposite so you want to avoid exposure to blue light 
because it's the blue light that's naturally from the sun that tells us it's daytime and to produce cortisol, which is the daytime and alert hormone. But if we get home from work and we then sit in our living room with the lights on full, we're watching TV, we're on our phones with these screens, they're also emitting blue light. And that's still telling our body that it's daytime. And when cortisol, this daytime hormone is high, melatonin is low. They work in opposites. So only melatonin can only be produced when cortisol drops. And therefore, I, I don't recommend people just sitting in the dark and doing nothing in the evening. Like we, watching telly is fine and being on your phone is fine to a point. Um, but wearing things like blue light blocking glasses could be a great thing for mothers. And a really important thing that I had an expert on circadian rhythm on my podcast the other week. Um, I can send you the link to that as well. But he said something really interesting that I'd never personally thought of. It's when breastfeeding women are pumping during the day and they're feeding the, the babies the, the daytime breast milk. That's actually higher in alert hormones like cortisol. And that can be affecting the child's circadian rhythm or body clock and affecting their sleep as well. And breast milk that's pumped in the night has more melatonin and more calming, soothing hormones that helps them sleep. So I thought that was really key. So if you just need to like label the breast milk and not give them the opposite time. And also another thing when waking up to breastfeed, not putting on all the lights, not checking your phone, going on social media, texting, just keep things like really low lights, put on some blue light blocking glasses. Um, and in the child's room using red lamps and pink Himalayan salt lamps, just keeping things very dark, as dark as possible, not to disrupt the circadian rhythm. And then there's a whole list of things to help with sleep, like making sure that your room's a nice, cool environment, making sure that it's dark as possible, as quiet as possible, maybe wearing an eye mask or earplugs, having a herbal tea before you go to bed, like valerian or chamomile, um, having an Epsom salt bath, before you go to bed, not eating too late. These little things, again, sound like they're not going to do anything, but they really do make a huge difference. And that sleep is where we heal, we detox, we repair, we um, produce hormones. So if And not sleeping as well, we all know that it affects our, our appetite, our food preferences, whether we want to go to the gym or not. So if that's happening every single night, it's no wonder that people have issues like falling off the bandwagon um, and just not being able to stick with the diet because they're craving sugar. And I'd rather someone actually have a lie-in and go to bed early than staying up late, going to the gym or waking up at 5am to go to a HIIT class. I'd rather them sleep, especially when they're trying to heal their body. That sounds like different to what we usually hear. We usually like exercise is everything, but sleep, in my opinion, is so much more. I totally agree. Like, get that in place. Get the restorative practices. That's what you're lacking, and most of us are, because what you said about the jet lag thing, yeah, absolutely. You feel permanently, or I say hungover. Like, <laughs> I don't drink, but I feel hungover. And we need to get that right before we start layering on more of that intensive stuff. And obviously, the, you can do yoga and Pilates, and that all comes into that restorative stuff. It's not about just not moving, but it's getting those kind of things right and I love what you said about the breastfeeding it makes sense I've not heard that before and I had someone on the other day talking about the breast milk microbiome which is fascinating but I think for a lot of mums out there it's not about um, having any um, blame around it but it is looking at maybe I always say look at you first 
you know what can you do to support your stress support your sleep and sometimes not all the time that does have an impact on your children because they pick up on so much but the physical act of when you feed them and expressing and that side of things wow amazing like that Mm -hmm. that is really cool and, and yeah the glasses i recommend all the time because it's just these yeah. small little hacks isn't it it's not that you can't watch that netflix you can't go on your phone that's your time but it's um what can you do to kind of maximize that um that melatonin production that that you know harmonious hormones in harmony getting them back into harmony um amazing there's so much <laughs> i feel like i know taking, like, i could go on oh you're amazing like, like i was just like taking notes and thinking like slow down i'll get back and listen back to this at my leisure um so yeah is there anything else that i think we've covered so much or any kind of final thoughts or anything that you want to leave us with yeah i'll quickly oh. say on exercise don't yeah. underestimate walking it's so powerful and it gets you outside um in the summer months you'll get the vitamin d it'll help with your circadian rhythm it actually reduces stress whereas other types of exercise increase stress which isn't a bad thing like it's called um like a eustress a positive stressor um another type of exercise that i recommend just for all women but particularly women with pcos respond very well to would be strength training so really trying to build that muscle not doing one pound weights with 100 reps that's not going to do anything you need heavy weights and the leg like the bottom part of your body the butt the legs the glutes um building those muscles really help with insulin sensitivity so it actually means that you can tolerate more glucose and carbohydrates in your diet the more muscle that you have so that's a positive thing and the restorative forms like yoga and pilates can be great especially if you're very stressed you have a lot going on like if you're type a personality you're probably it's the last thing that you want to do but usually it's the best thing for you to have a break, do some deep breathing and chill out a little bit rather than killing yourself at a boot camp class or marathon training. You're probably going to um, make your hormonal imbalances worse. And yeah, the chronic cardio, I don't usually recommend for women as well, like running on a treadmill for an hour or the Stairmaster or the elliptical for 30 plus minutes because that, that constant elevated heart rate back in the day, that would indicate that we were under danger or under threat. Maybe we were running from a lion maybe we were running from um danger and our body hasn't adapted to know the difference yet we it doesn't know whether we're running for fun or whether we're running from a potential threat and again if you've got if you love it and it works for you your stress levels are relatively low in your life and it gets you moving like continue with that but just have it in the back of your mind that it may not be the best while you're healing your hormones and then the endocrine disrupting chemicals, the environmental toxins piece is really key. People are eating an organic diet and living uh, an amazing lifestyle, exercising, but they're still rubbing toxic chemicals all over their body every morning and every night. These things enter through our skin and they can interfere and mimic certain hormones like estrogen, testosterone or other androgens. And as I said, women with P2S have difficulty detoxifying them, even more so than the average person. And they, ha- they are harming us all, but particularly P2S, we need to be really careful. So swapping out your skincare products for more natural and organic brands, but be wary of greenwashing, where that's where brands will say that they're clean and natural and vegan, cruelty-free. That doesn't mean anything. You need to check the ingredients um, and use certain websites 
um, like the Environmental Working Group, EWG, to look at the ingredients or brands and see how toxic they really are. It's a really good resource. And in your kitchen, not using plastic or cling film, not buying um, plastic water bottles all the time, that's not just going to help the planet, it's going to help your hormones as well. And pots and pans, swapping over to glass, ceramic, cast iron, stainless steel, as opposed to Teflon, non-stick, um, plastic things as well. And these will take a while to do. Like You don't have to completely throw everything out and overhaul your entire life with all of these recommendations in a week. Just take one thing at a time. Next time you run out of some shampoo, buying a better brand. Next time you um, want to buy some food, buying organic if possible, if it's available. And these simple things over time, it may take you 10 years if you don't have the, the possibility of swapping everything quicker but it really will make an impact. And especially if you're a mother or you're wanting to conceive in the future, it's really important that we protect our children against some of these things as well, because it can interfere with um, fertility. There've been studies, um, there's links to cancer. And again, not scaremongering, but we just need to be aware. And I think it should be empowering the information that we have now. We have control over so many things and 90 to 95% of these chronic diseases that we hear about now like cancer, like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, 90 to 95% are driven by diet and lifestyle and environments. Only 5 to 10% are genetic. So I just think that's a huge, powerful thing that is yeah. great to end on. And I think it's, it can be so empowering for the women listening, hopefully. No, absolutely. And just what you've spoken about, there is so much we can do within our homes, in our kitchens by getting fresh air. Like, absolutely. It is empowering. And this is the message I get across, try to get across all the time that it's, it's not about kind of fear mongering or um, blame if you haven't been doing that. This is about you taking back your health and looking at what you can do at your own pace and um, boy, does it feel good when you go on that kind of journey. It really is. It's a personal growth journey. Um, thank you so much. It's been amazing. So much information. I'll definitely listen back. <laughs> for my yeah, I've loved it. And, um, yeah, thank you so much, Vivian. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Annie. I could literally talk about this subject for hours. So thank you for having me. Uh, take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, wow. That was brilliant. Thank you so much, Vivian. I'm sure we will take so much from that. I certainly did. And thank you everyone for listening. If you would like to find out more or get in touch um, with Vivian, I've put the links to her social media platforms and website in the show notes. She also mentioned some really amazing resources that could be really helpful to all of us. So I've put the links to those um, there as well. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know. And if you're feeling super inspired, please leave me a review. I have a community for mums on Facebook. It's called the BU Mum Community. This is a closed group where you can come and connect with other mums and find inspiration, information and get empowered to reconnect with you so you can grow into your best self. I am also in the process of creating an online self-study course for mums. This is focused on restoring balance within our gut health. I, um, If you followed me at all on Instagram or Facebook, you will know I'm a little bit gut bug obsessed. But really, it does form part of the foundations to our health. 
and our gut health affects so much. So whether that's a physical health imbalance or an emotional or mental health. So because it's such a big part of the work that I do with nearly everyone or everyone that I work with, I decided to put a course together which is guided by me, so it's video-led, and it's broken down into six modules where I will help you restore balance from the inside out. I'm super excited. So if you are interested in that, please get in touch with me. Um, I will be posting a lot about it in the weeks, months to come. So take care, everyone. Have a great week, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Be You Mum podcast.